Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Pishan podcast series. My name is Tino Akimbolagbe, I'm your host for today. And in this episode, we will be welcoming two of our esteemed guests who will be sharing their insights and expertise. Before we go to that conversation, I'd like to tell you, take a minute to tell you about Pishan. Pishan is the private sector health alliance of Nigeria, we're a not-for-profit organization, NGO, who were founded to improve Nigeria's healthcare sector, support the government. We've been in existence for over eight years, uh, and our primary objective is to act as an aggregator and bring relevant stakeholders together to create transformative changes in the healthcare sector. So to learn more about Pishan, I'd encourage you to go to our website, that's pshan.org, P-S-H-A-N.org, and learn more about our front burner program. That's the Adopter Healthcare Facility Program. And we have a separate website for that, A-D-H-F-P, A-D-H-F-P.org. So please join us now so that we can discover more about the world of healthcare financing and we can explore how to get vital investments into this sector. It's an engaging and informative episode, and I encourage you to join us. Thank you. So good afternoon, everyone. Thank you again for joining. Um, In this episode, we're going to talk about healthcare financing. But before we start, I'd like to introduce our two guests for today. Coincidentally, they're both women. And they are both people that have inspired me greatly uh, at various points in my career. I actually think we should have planned a session where we discussed about the need or the importance of having mentors. Because both of you, I don't know if I've told you in the past, are my unofficial mentors. (laughs) Um, So Ms. Zara Yusufu is the first person I will introduce. She's the MD CEO at the Aliko Dangote Foundation, which is the largest private foundation in sub-Saharan Africa. And they lead with initiatives on healthcare, nutrition, education, and economic empowerment for underprivileged individuals right across Africa. The Aliko Dangote Foundation leads from the front, uh, not from the back. They're always first in line once there's an issue, very instrumental during COVID, uh, very instrumental even during the recent evacuation of Nigerian uh, citizens in war-torn regions in Africa. Um, so before joining the foundation, she's had a decade-long career with the World Bank Group and worked in various positions, including being a country manager in Central African Republic and, and three Central African Republic countries. Um, she's managed the Global Women in Business Programme and also worked in the European Union and at the Citigroup Smiths and Barney. She has an MBA in finance from New York University Stern School of Business and a BBA in marketing, a bachelor's in business admin in marketing from University of Massachusetts. She's multilingual. She's fluent in English, French, Spanish, and Hausa. And in Nigerian parlance, she is Mayoga at the top because she also sits on the board of Pishan, as well as numerous uh, global institutions. You're welcome on board, Madam. Thank you so much, Dr. Tino. Great. Uh, we also have Mrs. Indeli. Mrs. Injide Indeli is a country director 
Farm Access. Um, she's a health financing champion and has been for well over a decade. I met her in my first iteration in the health insurance uh, sector. She's the country director for Farm Access Foundation. This is an international NGO that focuses on healthcare systems challenges in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, working very closely uh, with the embassy of the Netherlands. They leverage on mobile technology and data, and they move the health uh, markets forward by focusing on promoting basic health insurance plans and innovating financing options. They facilitate business loans and investments for private healthcare uh, SMEs. She's had over 25 years of leadership experience, both in the United States of America and in Nigeria. And she's served as the Commissioner for Lancet and FT Commission on Digital Health and AI. Um, she's the current Vice President at the Healthcare Federation of Nigeria. And her educational background includes an MSc in Health Economics from the London School of Economics, an AMP from INSEAD Business School, an MBA from the University of Houston, and a PGD in finance and BSc in computer science from the University of Nigeria. You're welcome on board, madam. Thank you so much. I was looking for my mute button and it just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Myself and I couldn't. So thank you for the introduction. Yeah. It's wonderful to have two such accomplished women in the room. Um, we realize that a lot of people, you know, get their information from a lot of sources. So we decided to focus on podcasts because whether we like it or not, there are certain generations that get most of their information and topical information from podcasts and uh, Twitter spaces and things like that. So we're focusing on that. Our topic for today is healthcare financing so that we can discuss the significance of investments and how to improve access to quality healthcare. There are challenges, obviously, both to individuals and communities, particularly financial barriers, but several others, um, insurance complexities, and we hope to be able to discuss that in some detail today. Um, so I'm going to start with Ms. Yusufu, uh, and my first question concerns um, innovative financial models such as impact investing and philanthropy. I mean, you've had a lot of experience uh, both in philanthropy and impact investing in your uh, former uh, positions. So can you help us to address or discuss how we can address the financial gaps in healthcare through innovative financing models? Mm -hmm. So thank you very much, Dr. Tinu, for that question. I think um, I'll break the, uh, the question of financing in two pieces. Um, one part is how do people pay for access to healthcare, right? So how do they finance their own access to healthcare? And then the second part is how do you um, finance, let's say, a company or investments um, into improving um, uh, healthcare. So for part one, which is us as individuals or people who are in companies, how do we really um, improve people's ability to pay for healthcare? We know that in Nigeria, um, all the stats that I've read tell us that 70% of people's access to healthcare is out of pocket. 
This means that most of us um, cannot afford uh, health care because if you have to pay most of it yourself, all you need is one tragedy, one difficult disease, cancer, um, you know, anything, an accident to completely erode um, people's ability to, to, pay, to access health care. The other thing is, if people have to buy everything themselves, meaning whether it's a diagnosis um, kit for malaria or, you know, just even basic things like Panadol, antibiotics, cough medicine, etc. If people have to pay for this out of their pocket, it requires a certain level of income, which many unfortunately do not have. So that's problem number one. And I think some of the plans in place, specifically in Nigeria, are things like the basic um, health care provision. The idea being that the states will fund a basic package so that people can really have access to, to health care. It's been implemented in bits and pieces across the country, but it's not um, fully it's not fully there. Um, a lot of um, you know, a lot of the the obstacles are that people just don't have um, the jobs that enable them to be visible, right? So if you don't have a job where you have an employer and an ID and a card and you're next to a health center when you're sick, you just go there and you have access to whatever healthcare system your state put in place, then you're kind of left out. So I think for, from my perspective, that's one of the biggest challenges that we have because regular people, and when I say I'm a regular person, right? Like ordinary people find it difficult to access quality care. Now, the part two of the financing thing is like, okay, so where do we, who's investing in healthcare? Where are the big um, investors in healthcare, whether people are investing in pharmaceuticals, whether people are investing in hospitals and primary healthcare centers, et cetera. Where are those and where's the financing for those to happen? So commercial funding is difficult. So impact investing, philanthropy has been able to bridge a lot of that gap. I'll take our own example at Eliquidongote Foundation. We fund a basket uh, fund with six states that we've had um, memorandums of understanding with. And those are the states that had the worst indicators on immunization. And so with those six states, we define the basket fund together. This is a program that we do in partnership with the Gates Foundation. And when it, at the beginning, when we signed the MOU, we as a, as the foundations put in 35% each of the cost of the basket fund. So 70% and the state puts in the 30%. And over five years on a sliding scale, we get to a point where the states are now fully responsible for paying, um, or the cost for immunizing um, their people. This has allowed many hundreds of thousands of children who wouldn't have otherwise been immunized be immunized because the resources were there, the system was put in place, the money that we put in was not only to buy the vaccines, but also to you know, put in place the system to help the vaccines um, happen. So I think the, the, the gaps are still there. We've made a dent. But there's still a long way to go. And I think we have to have the, the humility to, to recognize that. But the work um, is really around how do we look at different ways of doing things. We're never going to be able to fund charity 
using commercial loans, for instance. So how many more philanthropy dollars do we have out here who can do this? And then how can we encourage, um, what kind of encouragement, subsidies, tax holidays, um, incentives can we give the private sector to invest in providing quality health care to us? So that's how I would answer that um, first question, Dr. Tinua. Thank you so much. Honestly, um, you've given us such a good perspective. Two key takeaways uh, um, I picked. One being that regular people find it difficult to access quality health care, and that's the truth of it. More than 70% of Nigerians, including myself, are regular people, and we find it difficult to access quality health care because yeah. we have to be out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Second thing you mentioned, uh, I mean, the great work that the Aliko Dangote Foundation is doing with the Gates Foundation, you've managed to move the needle on humanization significantly in those six states. Mm-hmm. But we have to have the humility to recognize that there are gaps mm-hmm. in the system. I think that's, that's a, a key thing. A lot of times you see Nigerians say, giant of Africa, giant of Africa. Mm-hmm. I think we need to set that giantism aside. <laughs> and just realize that honestly there are gaps the 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 huge population makes those gaps even bigger than in in countries on the same level as us and so we must look at different ways to encourage the private sector to invest in healthcare thank you so much for that um so i'll go over to you mrs indeli um i mean speaking from your experience in directing funding to the private sector or to healthcare organizations, what are some of the major challenges that are faced by healthcare organizations when it comes to accessing finance generally? Okay, so um, I wanted to start by making a connection um, because there is a direct relationship between quality of care that uh, health SMEs provide and access to finance for those healthcare SMEs. If people are unable to access quality healthcare services, it's because of the availability. Uh, availability often is dependent on access to finance, be it private uh, or, or be it public. So I think it's important to, to make that uh, distinction. Uh, so consequently, um, I, I think from our experience, um, there is very limited uh, funds. There are very few funds, you, I, I must say, that are focused on providing uh, investments or access to finance or healthcare facilities and a return on investment. So it, it makes the situation really, really difficult. Uh, so in a sense, uh, from our own experience uh, as Farm Access Foundation, I've focused on improved and um, do work on the demand side, which is then making um, the financing available to individuals themselves through innovative financing. Uh, but we also then work on the supply side. Uh, as we are improving quality, we are then making funding available to healthcare providers so that they can improve the quality of care that they provide. Uh, That has actually helped us establish the medical credit fund, uh, which you potentially know about in a second round, um, based to finance easier for healthcare SMEs. Uh, The MCF, as we call it, the the first fund was uh, 
you know, lending through partner banks because we are not a financial institution and we don't have a, um, a license to lend. We partnered with several uh, local banks uh, where we um, support that enable them to lend to healthcare SMEs. But that didn't work quite well. So we've now migrated to MCF2, uh, which is now a fund of over 80 million euros. And the intent is to enable over 3,000 healthcare SMEs uh, to access finance by 2030. And this is one either through digital loans uh, which are loans less than $100,000, uh, small amounts, uh, supporting working capital and so on, or over $100,000, which is now direct lending, again, uh, either through a syndicated loan or what we have found is that uh, health SMEs have quite a few challenges, and I'll put them around four, actually five buckets. Uh, one is you know, working capital and investments, uh, you know, there's a shortage of capital to health, health SMEs. One, because um, ordinarily um, or historically, if I would say, a lot of the healthcare SMEs, the smaller hospitals, um, were usually started by, you know, the older male who was a doctor, uh, expected his children to, um, you know, become doctors as well and take on the, the, the hospital as, as it were. But, the, you know, so they haven't been able to grow, um, systematically because they can't access finance. So for decades, they've remained really small. So, um, you know, the, the owner is the receptionist, is the anesthesiologist and so on. So they don't have proper bookkeeping and as such, uh, it's almost impossible to get a, um, any kind of uh, loan or access to finance from a financial institution to grow their business. So that's the first thing. The second thing is uh, local banks actually perceive the health sector as quite risky. I think from our own experience, we've proven that to be wrong. Uh, the MCF portfolio has 99% uh, payback and you know it's been amazing. So we've actually proven that it's not actually as risky as uh, as it, uh, you know as it's perceived. And what needs to happen is that the bankers need to understand how healthcare businesses are run. Uh, the fear often is okay. What if they default? It wouldn't look nice if I have to go and uh, you know seize the CT scan or. MRI or lock up the facility and so on. But it doesn't actually have to get to that because I think that understanding that their healthcare SME or their small hospital is actually a business and they should run it as such, then, you know, the, the thinking changes and the institution or the, the hospital is transformed. Another thing is uh, banks often require this uh, humongous credit history or hard collaterals, which SMEs normally don't have. There's also a struggle to improve quality. Um, again, quality uh, remains very vague, not understanding that it goes along three tracks, which is, you know, the equipment itself, the infrastructure, the processes, as well as um, the human resources, because one without the other, your outcome is very variable. So to institutionalize um, a, a small hospital, you have to Take all that into consideration and make sure that it's properly planned and documented and it's being run as a professional business so that you're able to access finance. Because there's acumen that I talked 
talked about, a patient is not uh, always charity, that you really have to set up the processes so that you're able to be sustainable by making income. So we're finding that these are some of the challenges that the health SMEs have. So for us uh, in farm access, in, as well as through the medical credit fund, we've uh, you know kind of provided a bridge between the banks and the health SMEs side, but also building capacity on the SME side so that both understand what each other needs uh, so that that way they're better able to, you know, either grow their business or um, expand the banking lending from uh, the banking sector. Uh, I can give you one example, um, some of the projects we've done with uh, Sterling Bank, with a former Diamond Bank, uh, FCMB, even Bank of Industry, that the reimbursement has, I mean, the default rate is, you know, very negligible. And the reason being that as Farm Access, we dedicate a portion of our funding to build capacity. So we have a health management program with the Lagos Business School Enterprise Development Center just to train healthcare business owners uh, to run their businesses professionally. So I think that if you look at some of um, you know, the issues within the healthcare sector and the inability to access finance, the inability for consistency in quality of care, you can then see a correlation. So I think our role uh, as you know, the front runners in the healthcare sector is to raise this flag, raise this awareness, uh, not just with the policymakers, but with the healthcare owners, but also with us as um, you know, the, the, the connectors of all the different pieces, be it philanthropy, be it uh, fundraisers, be it donors, that we must make sure that we're building capacity so that ultimately, those who are providing the care um, understand that, first of all, it's a business. People don't like to hear that, but think about that in a sustainability point of view and ultimately the health outcomes point of view. Because when an institution or, not, or a hospital is wrong professionally, then most likely the health outcomes becomes uh, um, better. And therefore, people then develop more trust in the system, and then they're better able to prepay for healthcare. So, just to round up, I think that it's it's a very vicious circle that we need to break by investing and making access available to healthcare SMEs, so that they can build up the system that engenders trust. So that when I prepay for that health insurance package, which is now being uh, established all around the country and being made mandatory, that I'm guaranteed to uh, access care whenever I need it. If I don't have that uh, trust, then I'm not going to prepay. So I think it converted into a, a virtuous circle. So I'll, I'll stop there for now. Thank you so much for that. So my next question is to Ms. Yusufu. Um, what collaborations or partnerships do you think are crucial in addressing financial challenges in the healthcare sector? How can we get people to work together? And who are the critical partners that need to work together for us to be able to address these challenges? Your perspectives, please. Thank you, Tinu. Um so I think I really think that there's um, there's different types of partnerships, obviously, but the one that we need to focus on the most and expand the most is the public-private um, ones. 
when we have a collaboration between the public sector and the private sector to solve um, these social problems or social issues like health, education, et cetera, what happens is that the, the, the private sector brings in um, what they do best, right? Efficiency, managing things, uh, keeping costs down, um, results focus. And then the public sector does what it does best, which is serving um, the people in a, in a broader sense. And so I think that the best type of public-private partnerships is an example of what Pishan is actually doing with the adopt a healthcare uh, facility program. Because if you have, the state is responsible for providing primary access to their people. The private sector who is managing these primary healthcare centers is responsible for making sure that the doctors are there, paid on time, trained, the nurses, et cetera, that the medicine is there, that the light is on, that the water is running. So all the things that the private sector does best, they do. And then what the public sector does best, they also do. So in those partnerships, I think we get the best of both um, sides of the, of, the, of the equation and are able to provide better support for people. I think things like um, insurance schemes. So if you have um, health insurance where people can access health care like through a public facility, but with private health care. So the private sector pays for you to go to the hospital or the clinic that is um, owned or belongs to the state. That's an example of a public-private partnership that can really be um, good. Ultimately, the goal is to bring down the cost of access to health care and improve the quality of it. And it's not doable by just the public sector or just the private sector. If the private sector is focused on maximizing profit, we can't fault the private sector. This is what they do. This is why they have the resources that they have. But that profit uh, maximization and drive doesn't necessarily jive with a public service. And so that's where the partnership piece comes in, right? Making sure that we bring down the cost of the service using the cost-cutting efficiency of the private sector, but then we're also um, expanding the number of people who have access to this quality healthcare. And I think it expands to not just the actual um, health center accessing medicine and things like that, but all the way through educating um, the health workers. So if we can incentivize the private sector to set up training for nurses and doctors and health aides and community health workers, and they get some kind of um, support from the state, then that's an example of a public-private collaboration that would help ultimately increase access to better care for people. So I think there's a variety of um, ways, but the, the, the obstacle to that is that we're still struggling, I think, sometimes today with how the two sides perceive each other. There's a there's a lack of, I think I can call it trust or comfort with each other, which inhibits a lot of these um, partnerships. Because if really the private sector trusted the public sector 
to deliver and to do what they were supposed to do, they would be more comfortable investing in, um, in, in, in health that supports the, 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 the public. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Mrs. Njide was just talking about how difficult it was for health um, facilities to get loans, right? So they're trying to get these loans from the private sector, but the private sector doesn't really trust this whole idea of what you're going to do. This is like a charity, but we don't understand what charity is. Banks and PE firms and VCs don't lend money for charity. They want to understand how you're going to get your money back. And so there's like this, this trust and understanding that we need to expand between the public and the private sector so that we can have more, um, effective collaboration between the two sides. But I do think that if we can get there, and like I said, the example of the um, Adopted Healthcare Facility Program, I think would be a perfect illustration of the private and the public sector working hand in hand and expanding um, healthcare for our, our people. Thanks. I'll leave it at that for now. Thank you so much. My next question is to Mrs. Indeli. How can healthcare organizations and investors work together to ensure that financial resources are allocated effectively and efficiently so that we can achieve some quick wins or which areas do we prioritize? Do we focus on pharmaceuticals? Do we look at vaccine production? Do we look at providing primary health care, which is the bottom of the pyramid where most of Nigerians are? What's your perspective? What do you recommend? So, uh, you know, th this is a very difficult environment uh, when it comes to healthcare. Uh, but I think that somebody should uh, blaze the trail somehow. Uh, investors are somewhat um, a bit afraid of, you know, uh, the healthcare organizations, especially the smaller hospitals, uh, because, like you said, they don't really know how to get their money out. Uh, you talked about. Um, the access to finance program, which we had started, uh, that was a collaboration between the medical credit fund, uh, the bank of industry. Uh, we had a few other smaller banks, um, joining to take over a few rundown private facilities in Delta state. We started in Lagos, but then we moved to Delta state. And I must say that as we were developing this framework, um, I had an investor from the United States uh, who said, look, this model seems very interesting. I have $35 million. I can invest in over 100 PHCs in Nigeria, but you need to show me the numbers that it works. So at, at the time I said, you know, we are just testing. So we don't have the numbers yet. Uh, so we're just really trying to figure out what needs to make it happen. So I think the one thing uh, we need to start with is to highlight success stories where, uh, you know, partnerships have worked, uh, kind of like uh, the Delta model. Um, and even though it's worked to a large extent in terms of the health outcomes, but the financials is still not there. Um, maybe because, you know, it's anchored on health insurance, maybe because, 
you know, the level of poverty is so high that the burden still reverts to the state. You know, these are some of the things that we are looking at. So I think that for um, for partnerships, you know, to work efficiently, uh, one, the first thing I mentioned is, you know, uh, um, technical assistance or capacity building uh, so that the investors understand the business, understand the environment, which is still very difficult. Um, two is, you know, th- how can we then uh, make, uh, you know, the, the investment climate through policies favorable to the investor? Uh, we had, um, you know, quite a bit of challenge with medical credit fund, even just for us to repatriate our funding. It was almost impossible. Um, so we then had to re-lend uh, the, the funds that we, we got back as payment. So we find that uh, oftentimes, you know, it's not totally dependent on uh, either the investor or the health SME, but the enabling environment and the policies that make it so difficult for investors to be interested uh, in lending uh, in the healthcare sector. So I think that is where the Healthcare Federation of Nigeria comes in because we're really pushing now uh, to see what can change. Uh, as we were discussing prior to uh, the webinars, uh, the, the podcast starting, uh, there are a few items that we have highlighted that needs to be prioritized. One, you know, tax breaks, uh, for um, importation, for health SMEs, you know, so that they can really establish. Two is, you know, the customs duty that, you know, that the health SMEs are paying just to bring in equipment, drugs, and so on and so forth. It's almost, uh, you know, it's, you can break the bank just paying those bills. Three is, you know, allowing local manufacturing and having that investment. So is a, a chicken and an egg situation because we really need investment to to establish local manufacturing. And so it's it's kind of very difficult. So at least can we start with some of our developmental uh, finance institutions like Bank of Industry, but yet they focus on funding the bigger uh, healthcare organizations. So for uh, access to finance in Delta, what we had to do in that regard was to aggregate uh, the, you know, quite a number of facilities so that the number, the financing and the, and the loans make sense to bank of industry. So that remains the challenge. So how do we, uh, create an enabling environment using policy or maybe some kind of intervention fund, um, capacity building, um, just finding the right, uh, uh project. Uh, that we can use as an example just to showcase uh, what can be achieved. So there should be some kind of strategic partnership. Uh, you know, can we do a performance-based financing to make it easier uh, to at least uh, put a step through the door? Um, could we focus on just investment, investing in uh, technology, which is also very critical to create transparency? So we can then um, maybe break up uh, the areas of investment into little bite sizes so that the investor has some kind of comfort level um, in entering into the market. So um, from what we've heard and what we've seen, um, this is what the Healthcare Federation is pushing for to be that um, it, it go, go between, if I use that word, to bring the investors and to find credible 
private health SMEs or organizations that can either help extend um, or attract the funding into existing businesses or, or, or green fields. But it is really, really a very challenging environment. Um, and like I said in my, when I was responding to your first question, capacity building is very key and enabling environment to make it easier for investors to bring in their money and take their monies out. Three is the, you know, understanding that healthcare, uh, first of all, is a business and we need to get uh, the, the numbers into the pool. When we begin to see the flow of utilization and counter, we start seeing that hospitals are profitable, then I think there will be uh, um, the appetite for investors to actually put their money in. But right now, when people can't even afford to pay to access care, um, the hospitals are struggling. Uh, why, where are we, where are the investors going to invest in? You know, so they keep investing in those bigger uh, drug manufacturing and uh, and other uh, and indirect um, uh, healthcare facility, uh, healthcare organizations that don't directly impact those, especially at the bottom of the pyramid. So I think there's a cycle, like I said, that we need to break. Um, we had done a study in collaboration with the Dutch embassy, highlighting some areas of uh, potential investment. And you'd be shocked at the opportunities that actually exist within our sector, but yet we cannot get the funding in. So these are some of the things that we need to focus on to break that cycle. The enabling environment is critical. The economic policies of governments, some of which are beyond our control on this uh, podcast, but we need to continue to advocate so that uh, uh, the, the, the environment improves and attracts investment, especially to the healthcare sector. So I'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much. That was a very comprehensive answer. I know there was an intervention fund at the time by the government for the healthcare soft, uh, sector. I'm not sure about the sources. That it'd be good to have some type of data on how successful or otherwise that was. Um, so you do find that there are investments in healthcare in Nigeria today, but they focus more on the top of the pyramid, where the ability to pay is guaranteed. We will have a lot of uh, specialist centers, particularly in Lagos, in Abuja, in Port high end of the scale, but we need more investments at the bottom of the pyramid with guaranteed um, models for success such that care can be provided. Um, so we're rounding up and uh, I'm going to just throw open to both of you. Um, what's your final parting comments on what you think potentially can be done in the healthcare space in Nigeria just so that we can improve the healthcare outcomes? Over to you, Mrs. Nezusifu. Thank you. Okay, so I think that in terms of what needs to be done or what could be done more, I think one is we need to continue um, the advocacy work around more of the, the federal and state budgets going to health. I mean, that's one of those um, 
things where, you know, Abuja declaration happened a few years back. Everybody promised to put in 15% of their budget towards health, but, you know, we haven't quite reached there yet. And I think we, we just can't let the, the, we, we just can't let the advocacy piece go. And we really need to keep at that. And, you know, advocacy at all levels, uh, constant and always. So that's one thing that we have to do. I think the other one is, um, you know, and Jide had just talked a lot about the difficulties or the challenges in funding um, health SMEs and where uh, the appetite is from the funders to fund um, social projects, which is, you know, where hospitals tend to fall, even though the reality of life is that they're actual real businesses, um, and then the, the, the third thing that I would say that we need to keep doing is keep exploring partnerships and collaborations and connections between the public and the private side. I think the, the Ebola epidemic at first, which we were, you know, miraculously able to thwart the COVID, um, crisis, which again, we were able to, to come through with, you know, very little human um, cost, but a huge economic cost. Are we ready? Are we thinking about the next, um, you know, pandemic? But even more important than that, are we, are we investing in the things that we need to invest in? I think making health a, an attractive investment is something that, you know, improving the business climate, which would be the, the, the public sector's responsibility. Um, is key. I remember when we, when COVID um, started, we couldn't even buy um, gloves and like testing kits and sanitizer because it, we didn't have any, we didn't have enough here in Nigeria. PPEs, we didn't have anybody making, um, you know, certified uh, PPE. And so we were importing things that just don't even make sense to import because we can make them here. Now, of course, that opened up the opportunity for all the hand sanitizer manufacturers to, to, to get up and do it. So we have, you know, that's now solved, but we have a lot of other things that we could be producing in Nigeria and in Africa that we're not producing yet. So I think, you know, really um, encouraging PE funds, philanthropy, commercial banks to see that investing in health is actually a lucrative um, investment. I think that's more advocacy that needs to be um, done from all of us uh, from now going forward. But really, a lot of it is modeling, right? So when you have organizations that have understood why this matters, so I'm talking about now private sector companies like Dangote, like Access Bank, and many others that have understood the importance of having a... a uh, uh, an impact on the health of all Nigerians, not just the, their staff, not just the people in their, you know, surrounding catchment areas, but across the country, what that means for us, for our economy, for everybody's um, profitability, well-being and progress. I think we need to, you know, 
bring those examples up. And that's why um, part of your job, um, Dr. Tinu at Pishan, is to really highlight these examples and to showcase what really can be done. Um, the more examples we have of things that work, the more people will be comfortable doing the same. As long as we stay in this, ah, health is, you know, risky and we're not sure how they're going to make money, then the less people will be um, investing. But I think you have enough organizations that are members of your group that can, you know, really showcase, do case studies, explain, encourage, talk about what actually has been working in health and continue to do even more. Thanks. Thank you so much. Great closing remark. Uh, over to you, Mrs. Inley. Start by making uh, a categorical statement, which is that universal health coverage in Nigeria would not be achieved if we don't leverage digital or mobile technology. Uh, and the reason I say that is because, you know, UHC is always about leave no one behind, but you can only leave, uh, um, you can only not leave people behind who you know exist. And in Nigeria right, right now, we don't even know who exists and who doesn't exist. So if you're seen, then you are most likely not going to be left behind. So how can we leverage this uh, phenomenal mobile technology revolution going on in Nigeria um, and, and link that to health? such that your phone becomes your identity and that way we can leverage on it to provide access uh, to better healthcare. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, a quality improvement cannot happen uh, without investment in the healthcare sector. Again, I initially I linked UHC to quality. I'm not going to prepay except I'm guaranteed or I trust that the quality of care I'm going to get uh, is guaranteed and good when I want to access it. So it's important that we begin to uh, make more investments or advocate for more investment in the healthcare sector. And this can start by local resource mobilization. I mean, during COVID, we saw what the private sector did. Um, so there are funds in Nigeria. We just need to focus on mobilizing those resources and putting it to good use with governance and also digital technology for transparency and efficiency. Now, um, the, the next point I want to make is around uh, what I would call uh, horizontalization of vertical programs. We have so many donors, so many programs that are so vertical, they don't even intersect. Now that we have mandatory health insurance laws, can we find a way to make all those vertical programs horizontal, global fund, rollback malaria, and I could go on and on, MSD for mothers. I mean, we have so many that even we ourselves are working on IHP program and so Latvia. We're just replicating structures, wasting resources. Can we find a way to leverage those into the mandatory health insurance laws that have been passed by the state and then support the states to implement, I think that is also very critical. We talked about public-private partnership, I think is also very critical, and defining the role of the public, which is around regulation, strategic purchasing, and performance um, uh, measurements is very key as a regulator then. For private sector, we need to find a way to emphasize our innovative way of thinking, our expertise, even leveraging additional investment. I think it's it's unfortunate that those making the policies are pretty much in the dark and behind uh, private sector when it comes to forward thinking. So how can they be making the policies for us? So we need to find a way to 
push private sector to the table so they're part of developing the policy framework. And that is the only way we can change anything or the system within our country. So I think those are my passing shots. Um, and I think that, you know, Pishan has a really strategic role uh, considering the people on the board. Now we have to continue to advocate uh, that some of this change is happening, at least in our lifetime. <laughs> Back to you, Timu. Thank you so much for that answer. And, and I mean, I really would like to thank both of you for taking time out. You've given us so much to think about and how we can move healthcare forward in Nigeria. Thank you again for coming. And I really wish you a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you very much, Dr. Tino. Thank you. So for more about what we're doing, please check our website, www.pishan.org. P-S-H-A-N. Have a wonderful weekend and thank you so much again.